0: Hello, Clinical Research circulars uh, We are here today with our special guest, Dr. Werner, the CEO of Inhibicase. Uh, Sorry, my pronunciation. <laughs> um, uh, Inhibicase is a therapeutic and pharmaceutical company innovating in a small molecule kinase. Is that the 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 correct word, uh, way to say I it, mean. doctor? Okay, I mean. inhibitor. Uh therapeutic for treatment of neurological infections and uh, neurodegenerative uh, de- neurodegenerative uh disease. And uh, and uh, we're going to be discussing today, most specifically about Parkinson's disease, which is a condition that. Is uh, is the second one that affects, uh, after Alzheimer's, uh, the population. I mean, we're going to be talking more most specifically in the United States, but this is around the world. So, uh, doctor, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your organization?
1: Sure. So, I'm Milton Warner. I'm uh, president and CEO of Case Therapeutics, a company I founded 13 years ago. Um, we are a clinical stage uh, therapeutics company focused uh, predominantly on neurodegenerative disease, but have a multi-therapeutic pipeline. Uh, we have been in business for 13 years. We were cash positive or cash neutral month over month for 11 of those 13 years till we went down the path of an IPO and then had some debts for a little while that were ultimately satisfied when we closed our IPO and follow-ons. And, uh, and today we are now... Um, at the forefront of transforming an entire area of medicine, in our belief, and uh, we have validated our approach to therapy by figuring out the mechanisms of Parkinson's disease in human beings and reproducing that Parkinson's disease in lower animals to understand biochemically how the disease initiates and progresses.
0: Okay, that's very interesting. So, why does it appear that Parkinson investments community investment community is not placing much uh, of a chance of success of of your drug in uh, this class of therapy?
1: Well, I think the Parkinson investment community isn't placing any hope in any drug, essentially. So Inhibicase came into the public marketplace a little bit unusually. Most of the time, at least since 2008, companies like ours would seek an investment from a venture capital firm or they would be founded by a venture capital firm, and with those initial institutional dollars privately would come into the public markets at a high valuation, usually well beyond the established value of their assets. Uh, In our case, we were a revenue generating company, go figure, like a business, go figure, developing the underlying science for Parkinson's, And we only really sought investment dollars once we were ready to enter the public markets because we were a revenue-generating company already operating like a business. So the strength of that business discipline is also our weakness in the market. Without coming into the public markets with a strong institutional support pre-IPO, we are not going to get institutional support as an early phase one company with a modality of treatment, in this case, what's known as a kinase inhibitor, that's already well-validated medically. Because kinase inhibitors have a long history of success, in fact, they're among the most commonly approved drugs uh, by the US FDA in the last 20 years. Um, So investments in kinase inhibitor therapies because of their success usually come at later clinical stages because you prove it works for your indication. So preclinical, so that's why most people who are developing kindness inhibitor therapies are already large pharma companies. They're not little companies like us. Little companies like us more commonly try to work on new modes of treatment, which can be monetized through strategic investment earlier. But that's not how InhibiCase is built. We were built for science innovation. We are transforming an entire area of medicine because we proved how and why people get the disease. We have a paper in press that will illustrate all of that knowledge that we've developed over the last several years and that our peers agree with. And we know that because they keep funding the company through federal contracts and grants. Now that we're public, we're also getting investor interest, but the institutional support that will bring us to the valuation that we ought to have is going to come from showing success in Parkinson's. And in the coming 12 months, we expect to see that.
0: Okay. So I was reading that the the IKEA, the ikt um, CABL inhibitors is less or not toxic, um, I mean, compared to all the treatments that are, are commercially available. Could you please explain why?
1: Sure. So, um, so kinase inhibitor therapy, you know, really started the first personalized medicine treatments in U.S. Um, uh, in U.S. medicine. The first um, personalized medicine was a drug called Gleevec, an inhibitor of a mutant form of the able kinase, and we're inhibiting the wild type form of that enzyme for a therapeutic purpose. So normally, because many kinases have at the core of how they function, they have a very similar uh, biological structure. And so because one kinase looks very similar to another, drugs are usually promiscuous and they bind many kinases, and some of the kinase they can bind, which we would say are off-target, so not for the intended purpose, those off-target interactions lead to certain toxicities. That has restricted kinase inhibitor therapy to mostly cancer applications, where mutant kinases can be inhibited, and where historically we've had a higher tolerance for side effects in the patient population. But when you look at major CNS disease like Parkinson's, these are people who are dying of a fatal disease that is chronic, just like cancer, and that can take 10 years to kill them, just like cancer. And it took a while, but the FDA now agrees that central nervous system diseases like Parkinson's shouldn't be viewed differently than oncology products do. So when we entered the clinic with Fortune 809, we had built our strategy for drug development not by doing everything from scratch and trying to see if we were smart, smarter than everyone else who tried before. We built onto the successes of drugs like Gleevec, and we made them better. And we changed their properties so they could get into the brain. In so doing that, we were able to refine the selectivity of our drug so that it doesn't have off-target effects linked to the toxicities that are well-known, like cardiovascular toxicity or Or kidney toxicity or liver toxicity. Instead, 14809 was designed to only hit its target and not much else. When we went into the, when we get into toxicology animals, we saw validation of those events. When we went into the clinic at the beginning of this year, February of this year, we saw even further proof of that. Patients or healthy volunteers who were older people, 50 and above, and now patients have been receiving this drug at doses that are very high exposures. And even at that high exposures, we don't see any toxicities. And that's consistent with the design principles that went into this drug. But even we are surprised at just how, at the low level of side effects that we've seen, hardly anything and nothing clinically meaningful. Um, And that's allowed us to go to even higher doses than we think we need to. So we can explore the full range of benefit that patients might be able to reach from because This particular drug and others that we're making that are similar to it uh, are intended for a very large number of people. And so that mandates that the safety profile be as good as possible.
0: Okay, now that you mentioned the toxicity in animals, there is an argument that reproducing a human condition of Parkinson's disease is hard in animal models. Uh, So how confident and close you are that that your model uh, is able to simulate the human conditions.
1: Well, that used to be true. So the hard part, so Parkinson is a disease that's classified as a misfolded protein disease. And what that means is that you have a non-essential protein in the body that becomes dysfunctional. And so uh, in this case, that protein in, in Parkinson's is called alpha-synuclein. There's a related protein that's, you know, very talked about in the lay press, um, and in the scientific press and Alzheimer's called amyloid, which becomes the misfolded protein in that case. And so um, the hard part about these diseases is how do you introduce the misfolded protein into just the area of the brain, or in this case in Parkinson's, just the area of the brain or the GI tract to initiate the disease and then allow the disease to progress in a synuclein dependent manner that is very slow. And slow means, Parkinson kills you over 25 years. So that's about a third of your lifespan. So you needed to have a disease that is synuclein dependent and slowly progresses over one third of an animal's lifespan. It took quite a few years for we and other uh, uh, scientists to develop how to do that. But once we had accomplished that, that enabled us to now uncover all of the underlying biochemistry of the disease. So when we went into the animal model setting with this synuclein-dependent, slowly progressive disease, and started drug treatment, we could reproduce what drug treatment will look like in people. And the results from these animal models are stunning. We've made them public. We can completely reverse disease manifestation in the GI tract weeks or months into the disease process in an animal, equivalent to years of a human being's experience. And we can do the same thing in the brain. And recovery is fast. Now, we as a company do not claim, I'm just going to reverse Parkinson's disease and put people back to normal. That's unrealistic. But what we've learned says a significant clinical benefit should be realized. And if we see that in Parkinson's, it will open up a treatment approach in other diseases like this, like Alzheimer's, like ELA, et cetera, Mm -hmm. that will, for the first time, provide a clinical benefit, as everyone knows, The drug that was recently approved based on a biomarker has no clinical benefit, and we know it never will, not at any time now or any point in the future. Because it'll be beneficial for prophylaxis, it properly is directed against the misfolded protein, but not in the right locale. So if we knew we could predict who would get Alzheimer's, then this drug does its job extremely well and could be a beneficial preventative agent. But as a therapeutic, it's going to fail forever. It cannot do anything therapeutically. It's too late. And we know why. And what, we've, what we're have what we publishing now, we have a paper in press and movement disorders that explains the entire mechanistic approach that we developed along with our collaborators. So it's, a, a, it's an outgrowth of many people's work, not just our own, um, and has been validated for Fortune 809, our lead asset. So I think collectively, our confidence in being able to manage and impact this disease is very high but we still have not set this unrealistic bar, like we're just going to fix everybody and cure them. There is a path to cure for Parkinson's. We see where it is. We do not know yet how fast or what combination of drugs will need to get us there, but we do expect a significant clinical benefit because these slowly progressive models truly are representative of human disease. It's not ambiguous anymore.
0: Wow, that sounds very interesting, especially because obviously the the amyloid is related to uh, Alzheimer's. So, mm-hmm. if these drugs uh, advance and get approved, then uh, it's also very beneficial for patients with Alzheimer's. I believe, right?
1: <laughs> uh, if we're right, we already it's already known that able plays a a role in Alzheimer's disease. We do not have the same quality of animal models like we have in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, but we know that ABLE plays a role and we know ABLE inhibitors when injected directly into animal brain and the kind of models we have for Alzheimer's is beneficial. Um, we think similar principles will be true for Alzheimer's as they will be for Parkinson's. So once we see, if we see a Parkinson's success, that's really meaningful, then we'll be judging whether we jump into patients or we just jump into model building. It'll probably be a combination. Um, But that's a little ways off in the future.
0: All right. I don't Uh, want to eh? monopolize (laughs) that. Go ahead, John.
1: Monica, you're doing great. Um, (laughs) I actually have
2: a couple questions from Twitter, from the community. So first question I have is how does such a small market cap company have such a pretty active presence on social media? How does that happen?
1: Uh, happens because uh, we're a business; we're not an institutional investment vehicle, plain and simple. So, yeah, yeah. A large, so the market cap of inhibicase is artificially suppressed at the moment by bots that are trading on the margins on our stock price. It can drive it up and down every day, and and if you do that with two hundred stocks at a time, you can make a lot of money every day. And we know we're subject to it. We see the trading activity. We know exactly who's doing. It. We can't do anything about that until the institutions come into the stock. When the price gets high enough, they can't do that kind of market movement fast enough to make it worthwhile. So the hard part for inhibicase has been we came into the market like a disciplined business. Here's my thesis when I'm coming into the public markets. I'm going to take what basically everyone would consider to be an anti-cancer agent. I'm going to give it to Parkinson's patients to reverse their disease. Now, who's going to invest in that? I mean, not even I would. So and I'm going <laughs> So... We came in knowing that we're coming into a field that has 100% failure, 100% of the time. And now I'm gonna tell you on top of that failure, I'm gonna do it from left field without a golf cart or a baseball or bat. So um, it's tough to take that. So we came in stepwise, small raise at an IPO to get in the public market so we have access to capital de-risk the asset, which we did very quickly. We did a 14-month experiment in three and a half months, and the FDA agreed with us. We did a follow-on to support going into Parkinson's patients much sooner than we expected at a horrific discount because the market conditions were disfavorable. Fine. The person who got hurt the most was me. I owned most of the company. So while investors did get hurt, the investors that really are smart, and that's most of the people who've invested in the Hibicase, they understand healthcare takes more than a few months to succeed. It takes a couple of years to have a real success. They've come in. And so we created a value stock for the investor while, tra- while being on the, sitting on the precipice of transforming medicine and all our scientific peers clinically and non-clinically agree with what we're doing. They keep approving grants in the millions of dollars to come to Inhibit Case to support the work. And now investors have done the same. We raised $63 million in five months. So while we've done it in a painful way, and and, that, and, that, and that's not something we are insensitive to, to say the least, we also recognize we've created an even greater opportunity for the investment community. People who understand it takes a couple of years to have a real success in medicine, and when you have a success, we all know what that means, both financially and medically. So while we are um, heretical in that sense, that we're not taking some of the more traditional approaches that people have tried, given the failure that has happened a hundred percent of the time for every medicine. Just last week, another one hit the, hit the, you know, ended up on the trash heap in ALS for the same reasons it's always happened. This resistance to doing the hard work of mechanistic analysis. And Hibike said, we have sufficient capabilities scientifically to pursue mechanism. We started this. In the first quarter of 2016, under six months later, we had millions of dollars of support between the Fox Foundation and the National Institutes of Health, and we started doing therapeutic dosing experiments in animals with progressive disease models we helped validate. We also opened two INDs to evaluate um, commercial products to show that they would be commercially unsuccessful for Parkinson's. So we wanted to prove the negative clinically. And one of those drugs was proven by the Fox Foundation to be just that, uh, a inhibitor that's in the commercial space for cancer that cannot get into the brain and therefore can't treat. But people were pursuing this through you know, inappropriate means. And so we had to prove the negative to support how you should go about doing this work. So I think what InhibitCase has done is try to be a disciplined business To hold its own, yes, we have this terribly volatile, suppressed stock price that nobody's happy with, including us, but it's a short-term problem.
3: So I'm kind of curious, Um, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's are at least uh, distant cousins, correct?
1: Um, They they come from the same sort of drug. They're both characterized by misfolded proteins that somehow degenerate neurons. In Parkinson's, we believe we understand this full stop.
3: Okay. Um, I had a conversation with a neurologist uh, a couple of years ago, and she said initially the focus uh, for curing Alzheimer's was to remove the plaque. And I believe that's what your drug is doing here for Parkinson's?
1: That... Not, no, not, not, no, that's not correct.
3: That's so not correct? Okay.
1: Because... The first part of your statement is correct, and that is true to this day. That's what Adjuhelm was approved for. So here's where the problem is. It was, re- so because there was this resistance for many years to f- try to figure out scientifically, how do we recreate the, Parkinson's, the Alzheimer's disease in an animal? We didn't have any handles. Um, because P- Alzheimer's is a cognitive disorder. Measuring memory in an animal is hard,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? They don't speak our language. We have to train them to do things, and then we have to see if they, untrained. But animals who shake or who walk funny, anybody can see that. I don't have to train them to do anything. Mm -hmm. That allowed us to have objective measures for model success in Parkinson's in ways we couldn't get in Alzheimer's. So that was one of the key successes. The other one was to get away from what was going on in the clinic. When we didn't know how to reproduce the disease, what we were trying to do instead was let's take big databases of medical patient information and look for correlates. What does 10,000 people with Parkinson's have or 10,000 people with Alzheimer's have? And when they find abnormalities um, in those medical records, they say, well, let's focus therefore on this phenomenon. So like a very famous case was um, a case of a drug for calcium channel function. People thought calcium transport was the, the cause. Some of the best clinical work ever done, 100% failure work, but the best designed clinical work ever done was around some calcium channel transport modifiers based on very deep analysis of thousands and thousands of patient records. And every aspect of the idea was wrong. And there was no way to know this until the trial failed.
3: Hmm.
1: So in Alzheimer's and in Parkinson's, the idea was, I see in a medical image, a plaque, a physical object. It only emerges in the, in the clinic. It only emerges when you have the disease. So it was logical to say, let's get rid of it. Completely correct thinking. Turns out the plaque that matters is not the one you see in the imaging. Hmm. Yeah, okay. That- the, plaques, the plaques form in response to all kinds of factors in Parkinson's and in Alzheimer's. Different factors give rise to the emergence of what this plaque is. This alt- synuclein plaque has a different physical structure than an amyloid plaque or a tau tangle, but they form in response to injury, to some genetic factors, many of which we don't know what they are, to some biochemical defects, but most of them are random. And Parkinson's, it's almost all random. And then they emerge. And so people thought, let's just get rid of the plaque, we should be able to remove the factor that's affecting the neurons. The problem is the plaque that's outside of the neurons when it first forms doesn't cause disease, at least in Parkinson's in any way whatsoever. So how did we prove this? We could take animals where we reproduce a nuclein dependent, slowly progressive disease, and we could place plaque physically with a needle injected into the part of the brain And then that seed will convert the endogenous plaque, the protein that they have into the pathological form. So we can make it progress. But if we did that same experiment in an animal where we genetically deleted the target of our drug, the Abelson kinase, no disease whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much plaque you shoved in their brain, when Abel was absent, no disease. ABLE is only an intracellular, intraneuronal protein. It plays a role in surveillance inside the affected neurons. So everything you wanted to control about the disease is inside the neurons that are affected. So the light bulb moment was, well, if the plaque that forms isn't disease-causing on its own, but you need to initiate, what happens to it? We found that it's getting into the affected neurons. It activates ABLE and then discovered all the downstream processes that occur. So when you block ABLE, you not only block all those downstream processes, but you turn back on a process that ABLE shuts off. ABLE shuts off a protein called Parkin. It's a protein that plays a pivotal role in integrity of the neuron and also in clearance of unwanted items of trash. Or abnormal things. And when able inactivates Parkin, there's no clearance mechanism left. So our drug, by blocking able, allows Parkin to be reactivated and turns on clearance processes from within the affected neurons. So that's where the clearance is occurring. And that's what the clearances you have to do in order to have a treatment success. If you clear the plaque on the outside, like Helm does for Alzheimer's disease, you have no clinical benefit, because that's not the plaque that matters. Yep. So yep that, that light bulb okay. moment is so important. And only now, after four years, did the paper that explains all of this just get accepted for publication. So I don't know. In another few weeks, we'll put out a couple of weeks, we'll put out a press release so that people can see it. But it will set the tone for everything we do going forward in the field. Hmm. And people will finally see just the depth of information we have around this knowledge. Does that prove that's what also work in part in Alzheimer's? It does not, but it sure sets the stage for that proof. And we now know how to measure it. So. Mm-hmm.
3: And that correlates and confirms the conversation I had with the neurologist. She's, she, at the time had said, and this was probably three years ago, that they could remove the amyloid plaque, but it did nothing for al- Alzheimer's. Nothing. Right, um, right. And, right. and we've known that for 40 right.
1: agents, I mean, at least 40 drugs have gone into phase two or phase three trials every single one, an abject failure and even got approved and it's still a failure. Mm-hmm. And I suspect one or two more antibodies are going to this year because they're going to be approved on the same basis in Alzheimer's and none of them have enough clinical benefit. Mm. Stunning. But that's just, it's the nature of a business. The, the good thing about what's happened at the FDA is they've begun to adopt the philosophy that we should look at major CNS disease. Like we do cancer chronic progressive and kills you incremental progress in therapeutic applications should be the way to go because before they were all focused on uh, perfection and nobody could get to perfection mm-hmm. so no treatments were approved lots of things for symptoms and we have a lot of good agents for that but they create new problems nothing to actually impact the disease but that's about to change so, so
2: let's
3: go speed around oh chris sorry oh, i was go just ahead. gonna say i i keep uh inhibit case
1: is going to bring that to market, right? Uh hundred percent certain of that. So <laughs> look, you know, it is a hundred percent failure business. So I hope that doesn't happen to us. I can't say that it won't happen, but the mechanistic understanding that we've placed into the public domain for everyone to see and evaluate, including our peers who seem to agree with us because they keep funding our work, um, um says that, um, there, there has been this light bulb moment. We, we are at a moment of transition in a major area of medicine. Uh, we're at the forefront of it. There's no doubt about that. And we happen to have designed at least one drug that looks um, like it's going to meet the requirements of feeding that mechanism the right way to block it. That's great. We'll have a step to go, but that's what we think. So. That's awesome. Could be, could be is the best I'll say when it happens well, it'll be a really good day. So, but look, it's been the
3: champagne a will flow on that day, right?
1: Uh, you know, um, nope. the case is driven about being being very efficient about bringing things to patients. That's our focus. Everybody's going to get the payday, and without the payday, none of this work gets done, right? So, we all understand this. Mm-hmm. But we are not focused on the strategic transaction. We are not focused on the valuation of the company per se. Believe me, we are not ignoring the what we're dealing with the last six months. Nobody is, but it's not a two or three or four month play. It's a two year play. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, and that's not for everyone's stomach, but um, you know, if we can solve a problem in two years, that has been intractable for 50. I'm okay with that. It's so, I'm okay. It's with that. Besides, It's two buck Chuck. Who's not going to buy a bottle of two buck Chuck. I mean, for God's sake, Sure. So, as sad as it is, it's two buck chuck. So, okay with me. Let everybody have a giant payday, right? You'll look like geniuses, or at least you want, Well, some people who came in at 10 are going to be looking like they're angry, but if they're buying it <laughs> two or three bucks, it's two buck chuck. You could have a spectacular lifetime of wealth from two buck chuck for, sure. for a, few, a few dozen shares, few, few tens of thousands of shares, right? So,
2: I like it. Absolutely. Well, right.
1: um, could be. So- like that wasn't our but at least that's what's out there. That opportunity's out there now. So,
2: so let's go. Like I know we got to wrap up soon. Thank you, Dr. Warner for your time. Let's go. Like twenty second answers for the speed round. Okay, on from Twitter. Sure. And you can say pass if you don't like it. Okay. Although I think I've screened them well enough that so I don't think you'll say <laughs> pass, but maybe. Okay, first one, what relevant experience do you and your team have in the field of neurodegenerative disease and oncology?
1: We're at the forefront, plain and simple. That's good. We are at the forefront, the bleeding edge of science.
3: Hey, Dan, I would just like to add, since you can't see Dr. Warner's face, the excitement for this Twitter round. I just wanted to let you know
1: that. And okay, he's excited about,
2: about it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Most of these biotech CEOs love Twitter. Um, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I do not play in the, in the social media realm personally or professionally, but I have people who do on my behalf. So thank goodness they It's it. a
2: very active community for a small market cap. I do
1: um, know that, and I'm I'm afraid to read that stuff because the things I've, <laughs> I've been called are stunning. So, <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: you know how these these investors look into things, so. We've been following this other company. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Chemfarm, uh, KMPH. They have an ADHD product that got approved. Uh, So basically, they had, they also had a very strong community, and they were reading into like pizza parties. Like they were looking at when the company ordered pizza and in, in what quantities yep. because they would they're they're guessing that they got a they're working yeah. hard. Yeah yeah Indicator. oh my god well it, it was the day of the Padufa and they ordered a large amount of pizza and somebody was staked outside of their offices and reported bigger on that
1: figure that. that they must have had a home run. Right?
2: Yeah yeah exactly okay <laughs> what are some of the biggest critiques Uh, or, or I guess a better way to phrase this one will be, what does IKT think about the hypothesis that neurodegenerative diseases, maybe like Parkinson's may well start in the gut?
1: Uh, we are at the, we are the foremost proponents of that. And we, we are the ones that were involved in proving it. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay. And it's simple. Next one, and Dr. Hazen would like that one. Next one, what are some challenges you might face? Uh, oh, no, we, we answered that one already about the animal models. Oh, here's a good one. Are there other companies working on a similar approach to treating Parkinson's as IKT?
1: Uh, one, Sun Pharma, the large generics manufacturer from India, has a research and development arm in New Jersey that also has developed an able kinase inhibitor. Uh, that has been evaluated in some of the animal models that we used. It's not nearly as effective and does not have, at least from what they've made public, does not have other properties that our drug has that we think would be important for success, but it's well known that they are working in a competing, in a directly competing fashion. And they're at roughly the same stage we are. So, Okay. Good. Good.
2: And then last one, it's kind of long because it includes a statement that
1: I think you made,
2: but somebody's quoting you. Okay. Uh, Okay. (laughs) The
1: com- <laughs> hope the, hope it wasn't a bad one. Sometimes I shoot let's, my mouth off.
2: Let's see. The company recently said, so it may not have been me, the company recently said this in a press release. Following FDA review of these three-month toxicology results and subject to agreement with the agency, the company plans to initiate a Phase 2a study in 2022 with up to 120 Parkinson's patients. In which quarter of 2022 do you expect this Phase 2a to be initiated?
1: Uh, I'm guessing Q2, but we've not made that formally public yet. I think that that's achievable. It really depends on site enrollment. So that study is, um, we're going to be, we expect to submit protocol and everything else to get FDA agreement on that uh, by the early part of 2022, if not sooner. And I do think it's realistic that probably closer to the end of the second quarter is very achievable, but it could be much sooner than that. Just depends on the logistics. We have to have at least thirty sites for that study. So, um, and so it just depends on the on the, the CRO that we're engaging. We're now in bids for CROs for that project and another one, and um, it really is going to be about site enrollment. That's what's going to determine the timeline because the FDA That's already did everything else. Yeah. Okay. No. No. Thank you for that. And we break
2: it here first for you guys. Okay. Well, That's why we. That's why you guys watch. Okay. Um, The dozens of you guys watching. So uh, last, I always ask biotech CEOs this, especially small market cap ones, because you brought up CRO. Thank you for that, for reminding me. So it's no secret, uh, at least amongst the executives we've discussed, that the large CROs sometimes are difficult to work with when they're dealing with the smaller biotechs. What is your thoughts on this? Are you guys getting like the short end of the stick when dealing with these CROs and is that a challenge and how not, are you guys addressing that? Not so
1: far because, um, well, I mean, for two reasons. One is uh, just as you are find me to be a dynamic, engaging person with authoritativeness, so do they. And that's <laughs> a very effective for dealing with them. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and because we have very well validated um, a, an approach that, A lot of people know about that's very steeped in science. This is not some, you know, concept that's not really as as widely appreciated in the scientific community as this is. I think that also helps. And uh, we've got the best people in the world who are involved in the company that all these CROs know so that they can hardly say no to us. So so while we are a small company, um, we play, you know, in the field just as competitively as anybody else. Uh, our biggest problem is that we have to go out and buy resources. We don't have them inside, which makes us take extra steps to get certain things done because we don't have them in house. And we're too small for that. I mean, I need the institutions to buy in. And if we didn't have a kindness inhibitor, but we had a gene therapy product or anything made of nucleic acid, every institution would be buying into us and I wouldn't have any trouble at all, but mm-hmm. uh, we're very happy where we are when we've done, we we put less money at risk. We've met our objectives. We've proven our initial needs and validations. Those things make us a more realistic investment. And now, because we're two buck Chuck, sadly, we've made it a real value investment. So, the risk has been removed on the product side. The risk has been removed on the investment side. Who's can ask for a better situation than that? I just don't. We couldn't get better for investors. Mm -hmm. Chris, are you buying?
3: Or are
1: you going to be buying tomorrow? I might buy a thousand shares. Okay. Oh, there we go. Got Every Chris block of shares matters. What I want is the people who are buying five hundred thousand shares because that's going to make it yeah, stock.
3: Yeah, that's I not, not going to be me,
1: but I hear you. Someone. So <laughs> lots of people buying. Look, we know a bunch of retail shops are buying uh, through, I guess, some network they have. They're buying five and ten thousand shares a day, and they're building million share positions that way Very to nice. avoid the stock move.
0: Now that we're mentioning the investors, I'm sure they would like to know uh, uh, about the fast track designation that you guys applied recently. Do you Mm -hmm. think the data provided uh, to the FDA meet uh, the requirements?
1: Well, the former head of neurology who retired just before the current head did says so. In fact, there was no reason. So they've asked for some additional information because. (laughs) So we submitted our fast track designation a week after the FDA reviewed all our data. From the statutory requirement, the FDA was supposed to look into their own documents um, to obtain the information that they requested from us. But the reviewer is the, is the uh, number two in the division in neurology, and she wanted everything in one document. So we had to repeat putting everything into one document to give her what she wanted in one document. Instead of her having to go into their database, which is well-referenced, with the documents already have. So uh, we expect that it will be successful. We don't know that. Um, It will be a beneficial regulatory milestone. It doesn't have the benefits overall that breakthrough designation does. But for us, it will be uh, another point of validation that the scientific basis of what we're doing coupled with what we've accomplished in the clinic forms the basis of the agency's attention. And uh, we think we deserve it.
0: When did you expect the decision by the FDA
1: well technically they have 60 days but i suspect it'll be sooner than that so um since the basis of the decision is already well known to them and they've reviewed it we had to fulfill a statutory request which we've done and that was two two or three weeks ago so i mean up to them you know they the agency is understaffed and so everything's taking longer than you expect but uh technically it has to be before the end of the year so hopefully it'll be before the end of this month if I'm lucky oh, it
3: looks like it's looks very exciting uh, obviously we have no
1: shortage of enthusiasm inside inhibit case and you know things have gone too easily and too well you know so every company's going to have some bumpy roads we haven't had one yet i mean we did plan well and we did staff well and so and we're well financed So, um, but you know, now that we're in patients, it's a much slower pace of enrollment. Nothing can be done to make that faster except to get more sites. And so, um, but we're working in a space where safety for patients is really important. We're in uncharted territory with this class of drug in these patients. So the fact that we're building our knowledge with some, with consideration of that matters. So we don't have any accidents because nobody wants accidents. So,
2: well, we'll be looking forward to the pizza party. Dr. Werner,
1: yeah, uh, and, you know, uh, I'm a foodie, so it's more like you know some overpriced three-star Michelin restaurant in New York with a lot of
3: people.
1: Oh, so if you hear <laughs> of a restaurant being bought out one night, that could be a sign. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, I can't tell you that, or if one of your colleagues is going to park themselves out there one day.
2: Oh, they so, will. <laughs> yeah,
1: they will look. I get asked questions like this all the time. I mean, we, you know, you get that there have been a few companies recently who have put out too strong a statement on too little information. And then when their data was reviewed by an expert audience, it wasn't what they said it was. And they had to acknowledge that. And it had devastating consequences to the company. There've been three companies like that in the last six months. Uh, We are not going to be one of those. It's a slowly progressive disease. It'd be great if we saw a miracle, but we're not going to be calling any miracles. It's a slowly progressive disease. And therefore, it will take some time to show that we can really impact it. But showing that impact will have a long-lasting consequence for millions of people, millions of people in the U.S. and many more millions worldwide. And that's what Inhibit Case cares about. Everybody's going to get their payday if we right. So we stay focused on the prize, and that's just transforming people's lives. If that works, everybody else is going to see a benefit. Awesome.
0: Well, I think that's, that's uh, basically most of the important information that we need
1: to keep
2: over. Okay. Twitter's all done, Dan? Twitter is done. And thank you, Dr. Werner. We'll definitely do a part two sometime whenever it's appropriate. Maybe when you have something new to announce or maybe within three months or so, just reach sure. out and we'll, sure. we'll be happy to do this again. And I'll, uh, I'll gather some more, crowdsource some more questions for you.
1: Okay. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Thank, Thank you, you everybody. Warner. Thank Bye-bye. you very
2: much. Bye. Bye. Bye.